This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Dreamland. If you're watching this, you know I'm not Whitley Strieber, but <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, with me today is uh, a fresh face for uh, probably you and me. His, his name is Vuk. He is the host of the Tracing Owls podcast, uh, which is sort of a, he describes it as kind of a, I guess, stream of consciousness vlog type yeah. podcast audio thingy. And not really a vlog because it's not video. I don't know how you describe it. Frankly, I've botched how I, you describe it. I describe it. it as an audio photograph. I'm just recording okay. a point in time and space. So, uh, Vuk, welcome to the program and thank you for, uh, for coming live from Bosnia to us. <laughs> yeah. And thank you for having me. I was uh, surprised that I'm not talking with Whitley. Oh, yes. Well, I replaced it with the last minute. I was like, I, I got the, the cane from the side of the stage and just, I don't know if you get that reference. <laughs> oh, so this is a surprise episode for the audience and for us. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, these are, these are the jokes, folks. So uh, I want to talk to you about your spin on the Gaia theory. Mm -hmm. um, the reason I want to talk to you is because you have a background in biology and you almost uh, make it a sort of uh, take it from a materialist perspective or base and build from there, which I, I think is interesting. Yeah. Uh, so tell us just a little bit about your background. Okay, so I, I finished college. I finished biology with an education emphasis here in my country. And I worked briefly as a biology teacher. So, you know, working as a teacher, you need to know how to um, stimulate the students and how to gain their interest because high schoolers don't care about biology and science. So you uh, assume the role of a trickster in a way. And I'd say teaching is a performance art. So that's how I started thinking about the Gaia theory, how I would, you know, unify all of this biological curriculum for my students and how we would look for patterns to connect to everything. Okay. And the, I guess the other thing that I found interesting about you is that you had told me privately that uh, you started thinking about this paranormal stuff um, and coming to conclusions that are in the ballpark, I guess, of Jacques Vallée and John Keel before you ever read them. <laughs> yeah. And I, I found that fascinating because that's, that's, you know, I don't know if that's confirmation that they're onto something, but um, I just find it interesting that we've got to like go all the way to Bosnia <laughs> to find the one guy <laughs> who like gets it. So how did you, how did you get it before reading it? What were you reading? So I started reading about the paranormal and ufology when I was a little kid, like most of us, though I was a little kid in the, you know, uh, early 2000s. And I got into ufology back then via books and via forums and message boards on the internet. But I kind of abandoned that around high school because I was more focused on biological science and ended up, you know, studying science. Um, Due to COVID, I started a biology podcast, but what I intended with my original podcast, Darwin's Deviations, is kind of remystifying biology because science is kind of demystifying uh, the natural world. And when you need to teach students, you need to kind of remystify everything and spark their interest and intrigue. 
So when I started that podcast, I had the intention of remystifying nature and creating archetypes out of natural creatures and animals. I want to get into that scientific demystification portion of the program later. uh, Okay. Because I I find what you have to say about that fascinating Mm -hmm. and true, but I kind of want to explore the contours of it with you. Um, maybe with subscribers after, after the riffraff leave. No, <laughs> Whitley, don't fire me. That's a joke. Uh, no, but I, I would like to explore it later. But first, I want to get into um, the Gaia theory and why this attracted you. I mean, people talk about ghosts and aliens and cryptids and all this fun stuff. And you think to yourself, I know, Gaia theory. What, why is that? <laughs> Dreamlanders, don't you move. We'll be right back after this. Okay, so uh, I was never into the ETH, just like you, kind of. Um, so I was always gravitating towards how do we explain all this? And I was always gravitating towards the psychosocial theory, you know. Um, but as I have a biological education and as I am already... Um, aware of how uh, living systems are organized and how they function in all hierarchies of existence from the single cell to the whole biosphere of the planet. I'm thinking this is all fact, you know, uh, this whole hierarchy of life forms, creating life forms on Earth. How do you fit the, the paranormal into this? And how do you make the paranormal not very anthropocentric? Because I think the whole problem with the ETH hypothesis is this sense of anthropocentrism. Yeah, they believe they're all aliens in outer space, but why would the aliens be coming to us and sending messages to us and whatnot? Uh, Also, people forget that the planet is full of mysteries that are still, you know, yet to be discovered, but they go looking up at the stars instead of looking at the planet they're already uh, living on. Yeah, but then also, I mean, Gaia theory, um, I don't know if it started out this way or was co-opted by sort of new agey um, anthropomorphism. It was as well. co-opted. So, yeah. how, so how did you decide that that you could rehabilitate that? So I, I had ideas of the Gaia theory, but I was not aware that it was a thing or that it has a name. And just for your listeners, we are not talking about Gaia, the streaming service, uh, when we're <laughs> co-opting, you know, new age stuff and uh, using the name Gaia. Uh, Lovelock, James Lovelock, who is the scientist who proposed the Gaia hypothesis, had troubles actually, you know with credibility when he proposed the Gaia hypothesis because he used the name Gaia, a personification of of, uh, Mother Earth in a way. And science (laughs) does not want anything to do with the mystical and the the mythological. So um, he employed uh, Lynn Margulis, who was a microbiologist who helped kind of insert more credibility into the theory uh, via real science because his ideas were more philosophical and there's a lack of philosophy in science. So how I decided to do this and 
I need to say, I, this is like honest, I am appropriating the Gaia hypothesis because it is an actual scientific theory now. It is called Earth System Science. It's a real thing. It's a fact. But I'm just trying to appropriate it to explain maybe a portion of the paranormal because you cannot fully explain the paranormal. But if it is fact that the planet Earth is a giant... A control system and an organism composed of every organism on this planet, which are you know interacting with each other and forming these these uh, relationships. Uh, then how do we fit in the paranormal, you know, into that? And then it opens up the question of consciousness and what is a human consciousness and is a human consciousness fully human or if we are the cells of a giant super organism is our consciousness a building block of a much larger consciousness well let's uh let's hold that thread hold that thought and uh <laughs> shoot it to a commercial uh we'll be back in a couple of minutes and i will have my thoughts on that and uh, we'll keep going all right and we're back. Uh, so we're talking about the uh, Gaia theory with our friend Vuk. And you said that it's now sort of a scientific theory, but the scientific theory, I I'm just going to go on an assumption here, uh, doesn't include the paranormal. Is exactly. that correct? So exactly. They even changed the name to Earth System Science to completely remove any you know semblance of mysticism from it. But so what is it that they're keeping then? Are they just keeping the sense? I mean, we already know that ecosystems are all interlocking, interrelating systems. So, so the point of the Gaia hypothesis is that the whole planet is a super organism in a way that there is a co-evolutionary bond between the living and the non-living. Living organisms, as you know, need to adapt to their surroundings. And Darwinian evolution states that you know the surroundings are like set in stone though they change but the organisms are a reaction to that and then change and adapt but per gaia hypothesis yes the organisms adapt but once they adapt and evolve into new forms they then influence the environment the environment changes as well and now the organisms need to change as well and so on and so on and so on <laughs> so it is kind of a control system, as Jacques Vallée likes to say, but when people talk about control systems, it's not like um, the conspiracy theory thing of, oh, they want to control our minds. He's talking about a cybernetic self-regulating system. Okay, so, so the whole po point is that, you know, the planet is a self-regulating entity composed of every entity on this planet. I got that. So uh, it's an entity without a sense of self. Would that be the scientific view? Yeah, they don't want to call it an entity or an organism. They want to say that Gaia is not an organism or a superorganism, but kind of a super ecosystem, an ecosystem composed of all ecosystems. Uh, a byproduct they, wanna, of, they don't want to give it the same life or a higher sense of consciousness yeah. than, say, a scientist is the problem. Yeah, so <laughs> even in science, it is still thought of as the multicellular organism is 
an organism and that's that. There's nothing above it. But you know, there are single-celled organisms. And if you look at how single-celled organisms evolved by uh, aggregating into colonies and then every constituent of the colony needed to specialize for a certain function, once they specialized, they became dependent on the system forming a multicellular system. So in a way, every multicellular organism is a superorganism composed of millions of smaller organisms and so on and so on. So, so but you're, you're bringing it back very, to uh, yeah. not just the physical and not just the systems, but you're also, how are you applying it to the paranormal? So I'm applying it to the paranormal. Like if we are materially organisms, composing organisms, composing organisms and uh, materially a self-regulating system, then surely if human consciousness is a product of evolution and natural selection, it is natural. So it did not evolve for a human purpose, but a Gaian natural purpose. So our consciousness is uh, an asset of the Gaian whole. We are not our own or as independent as we think, but we are rather uh, a component of the one. And as a component of the one, the one utilizes us, us for a certain function, just as Gaia would utilize, say, a swamp to regulate gases in the atmosphere. It may be utilizing us for some more uh, higher consciousness functions or as I'd like to say, maybe a Gaian consciousness, if it exists and is, you know, a part of our consciousness, is utilizing us to transcend into other dimensions of existence, from a material to a more abstract, imaginal existence. Uh, to what end? So, I mean... This is not something that I'm totally married to. I'm just putting out ideas, obviously. But uh, if you want to fit the mystical and the ethereal and the non-material into science, you need to use science as a baseline and try and see how everything else fits in. And I don't know, for me, like there is already something called a collective unconsciousness and we all share the collective unconsciousness as we are all humans it is an essential part of the human condition so what if this collective consciousness is a part of a gaian consciousness and what if that gaian consciousness may be communicating with us i don't know intentionally or unintentionally i don't know if it is intelligent or not, or if it is just an uh, ingrained framework of our minds. But as our minds are a product of a super entity that is the product of two billion years of evolution of life on this earth, then surely, you know, our uh, mental psychological framework is a product of this guy in consciousness if it exists. So does this include like uh, people who take quote unquote shamanic journeys or, um, you know, hallucinogenic medicine trips? Um, would that be 
you know, when you t- take ayahuasca and you meet the ayahuascan goddess and it appears as a snake and that snake just wants to wrap itself around you and talk to you about your yeah. own psychological baggage, would that be Gaia in disguise too? Well, I don't know if it would be Gaia or if it would be us uh, personifying something via archetypes and symbols. As you liked to say on Peritopia, like uh, our us uh, communicating with ourselves and the oneness. Um, I, I, I don't know. There, there is still no way to determine if there is a guy in consciousness or not. Yeah, because I, I, I think... Um... We gotta sort of wonder if if there's a uh, an Earth consciousness that is communicating with us. We are of Earth, and we are with Earth, and we're on Earth. So why why isn't there just a direct link, <laughs> a direct doing, sort of a reflexive uh, direct action. interface? As you yeah, think. as opposed to all of this sort of circuitous stuff well, that you kind of have to figure okay. out. Think of it like this: Is there a direct interface between you and a single lung cell of your body? And do you ever feel how a single cell of your body feels, or do you just feel the accumulated whole? I probably just feel the accumulate. Well, in that case, the accumulated whole, sure. But as an organ, if something goes wrong, I feel it. Yeah, but the organ is then the interface. The organ is the entity communicating directly with the cell, and you're communicating not with the organ, but the organ system, let's say. So it's a whole hierarchy of uh, closed biological systems which compose one another. So essentially we're saying that there is sort of an ethereal or formless um, uh, mirror image or something. You know, it, it works the same. Fractally, it's the same workings um, as the physical, that there's this overlay of a non-physical ecology of archetypes and entities and that sort of thing. Essentially, the way that there are organs yeah, in the body. A hierarchical um, ecology of consciousnesses, let's say. But it's not a human consciousness. I mean... I can say a guy in consciousness, but that guy in consciousness lives for eons and we live for years. Our perceptions of time are totally different, you know? And when people want to talk about aliens, they always, they like to say now interdimensionals or ultra terrestrials, but never really like to go into what does that mean? And are interdimensionals like parallel dimensions or can interdimensionals be entities uh, existing on different planes of material reality and on different perceptions of time. Well, I, I like, I'd I, say, I'd say a single celled organism exists on a different plane of reality than a multi-cell organism, than say a Gaia, than say a cosmos. Yeah. I sort of toyed with this in the last book I wrote and uh, definitely in this book, um, the idea of interdimensional beings who you know, they share the same dimensions. Like if we're three dimensional or four dimensional or whatever dimensional we really are, uh, then there are other dimensions. There are other configurations of dimension that we're also sort of attached to, but are invisible to us. And are there beings that are inhabiting that? And are those beings also us? They're themselves, but they're us. 
So here's something very interesting. Lynn Margulis, who I said uh, formulated the Gaia hypothesis with Lovelock, she is legit. She was a legit microbiologist. She is well known for uh, postulating the endosymbiotic theory, which states that eukaryotic cells evolved because they uh, started to live in a symbiotic relationship with bacteria and mitochondria in cells are actually remnants of ancestral bacteria which lived inside of cells. So essentially we now have millions of cells within us, but every one of our cells has hundreds of remnants of other organisms which lived inside of them. So we are in a way a collective consciousness of different organisms not just uh, of our species, but of residents of our bodies and, you know, of the microflora of, of our inner and outer body, let's say. See, it's interesting because when I think of it this way, I mean, to me, this is all uh, one consciousness manifesting as many things and we're one of those many things. And so we're looking back at it. You know what I mean? Like we're trying to trace back, but it, it's all going to end up being right. We're all just one. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, we're all just one. But uh, since we are alive and have to live individuated separate self senses, um, I guess it would behoove us to know how to even maneuver around the world in this way. And so when we're talking about um, Gaia theory, applying it to paranormal phenomena, uh, how is there a way, have you thought of, is there a way to know the difference between that and something else, like even mental illness or that and um, something else that might be trying to communicate with us? I heard you say on a podcast that the difference between paranormal and mental illness is with the paranormal, you actually get answers, which means something. <laughs> So I think uh, the point of a paranormal experience, uh, as I see it, like I'm not an expert. I'm just, you know, a guy doing an indie podcast and sharing ideas. Maybe I'm not right. Maybe somebody hears what I have to say and formulates it much better than me. I see the paranormal as having maybe uh, a purpose to spark creativity or intrigue or to entice us. So okay. I see, like, if somebody sees a UFO in the sky, something communicating with us, be it a Gaian entity or something else, the other is enticing us to look further. Uh, we react to liminal spaces by conjuring these images or manifestations of paranormal entities, let's say. Um, I don't know why. In historic times, we had many more liminal spaces than now. Now that we have... Uh, cover the planet in concrete, we are being enticed to look in, up in the sky. I don't know if it's a Gaia entity. Maybe that Gaia entity wants to entice us to leave the planet. Maybe that Gaia entity wants to use us as vectors of panspermia because every, you know, living organism needs Wait. to reproduce other hmm. planets. But okay, that's you all, you know, speculation. You cut out there, but I, I think I, I cut the gist of it. Um, so, but I, I do think that there is a limit that you can put on it. Um, like for instance, I don't think that if, if we're still sort of a cancerous consumerist capitalist, go down the list, um, 
westernized world living a partial sense of self and calling that just human nature we just go to war that's human nature and never never really understanding what it is to be a human being in fullness i don't think gaia wants to panspermia that (laughs) you know i don't think gaia wants us to go pollinate with that it doesn't want to pollinate but it wants to use us as vectors wherever you go you're carrying germs with you and germs are the essence of life and the essence of gaia the point of Gaia is... I don't is know that that answers it. <laughs> I'm not buying that. I'm not buying that as an answer. Because uh, I don't think that there... I don't know what would be important about sending... Um, well, for instance, like if we go to Mars, say Elon mm-hmm. Musk's dream comes true and we for some reason can't figure out how to terraform Earth, but we can, we can terraform Mars and go live there. Mm-hmm. We're going to start wars. We're going to pollute. We're going to keep moving on that way because the problem isn't that we haven't learned how to be different. The problem is that our very sense of being is incomplete and that we keep looking toward futures and evolution and forward and blah, blah, blah. And we think that that, that's what we're supposed to do, but that linear thinking is actually driven by the whole inside, always looking for more. And we've got all the evidence we need with the spiritual people (laughs) from the ages and the ayahuasca goddess and whoever else saying, just take a time out. If you shut up for a minute, if you stop thought, not keep progressing thought, something else occurs, something else happens within you. so I, I would think that if we're not ever going to do that, if we're always going to chase it, um, that's not something worth unleashing on the universe. Well, evolution does not work in such, you know, intelligent directed ways. It's just organisms adapting to the current conditions of life. Um, I know the, the eco disaster we're putting up on the earth sounds like a very bad thing. And why would a guy in consciousness want that? But we forget that there were many different um, uh, mass extinction events, even in the beginning of uh, life's evolution, when everything was a single cell, there was a moment when um, organisms started utilizing uh, photosynthesis and then creating more and more oxygen. And the more oxygen there was accumulated, the more organisms died out because they were anaerobic. And this led to the extinction of 99% of life on Earth. And then the aerobic organisms thrived and Gaia just went another evolutionary way and so on and so on. So it's not linear. It's more like uh, you work with what you have. By now, Gaia has many tools at her disposal evolutionarily with all the different forms of life on Earth Um, and utilizing us as a conscious being However, it can utilize us in this moment in time and space. So do we, I mean, personally, I could see Gaia just going flick and flicking us off the earth more than yeah. shooting us off into space. Because um, again, the shooting us off into space thing to me is just the scientific materialist version of going to heaven. You know, we'll, yeah. we'll just create heaven out there. That'll be our evil. Yeah, but, but that, that's a psychological adaptation in our minds to entice us to do that. 
we think it's for yes. our purpose, but it's for some other purpose. Okay, see, this is where we're getting, now we're getting to something, because I think that's true, but not because it's for another purpose. I think it's the purpose of the separate, separative mind. I don't think nature cultures who already do see themselves interrelated and interlocking with everything, they don't think that way. They don't, they don't even yeah. have words for that stuff. Um, so isn't that actually closer to what, I mean, being natural is? Yes, it is. But what do you do when uh, a population evolves as a cancer on earth and then spreads? You need to adapt go, with the current conditions. <laughs> <laughs> See you later, yeah. people. I, I love that Ice idea. age, bye. That, that is a very... <laughs> That is a very Keelian pessimistic idea. I, I love that, but I, I can only speculate on it. <laughs> okay, well, uh, let me see here. I had some questions. Oh, you know what? Maybe we'll, uh, I don't know. I'm like the god of podcasting right now, right? Like I can do anything. Let's go to commercial. <laughs> and we're back with Vuk, and we are discussing Gaia theory. And uh, I have... Uh, one more. I actually, I don't really usually write down questions because mm -hmm. um, I'm lazy. But for you, uh, I have a couple written down. And what I say here, um, I heard you on, uh, yeah, one of your shows talking about how it's possible that there were gods, but that okay. they may have disappeared when they were written down. Uh, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Okay. <laughs> just to say, like, I come up with theories. I'm not married to any theory. I just like the philosophy of it. So what if, let's say, gods existed, these pantheons, uh, as whatever you want them to exist as. But uh, these entities, these ethereal entities, have an innate need to manifest, to show themselves to us, and to transcend from a chaotic, entropic existence into something that has much more gravity to it, much more mass. Um, and what if they are utilizing our consciousness and the collective whole of our psyches and so sociology to transcend from this existence to maybe a, a form of existence as a cultural idea or concept? So I love the idea of entities being concepts, not just uh, physical, biological entities or spiritual entities, but living concepts and ideas. Um, so the we would be, let's say, the translator of uh, this chaotic existence of these beings to a more, uh, let's say, uh, formulated existence by writing them down or what we do now with science uh, solidifying the universe into a uh, material state, let's say. So would this apply to Gaia? Like if you wrote a book on, on all of this, um, would she immediately be dead or irrelevant because you wrote a book? No, because Gaia already has a material existence. Is Gaia paranormal? No. <laughs> Is anything paranormal? I, I think like paranormal is a quality of the human. It's an essential part of what it is to be a human, but not an essential part of what it is to be a tree or a fungus, or maybe, you know, fungus and trees have these mycorrhizal communities and communicate with each other. Maybe they have their own mythologies we are not aware of. 
do you include uh, the sun or other planets or stars or any, any of that um, in Gaia theory? Like, do they all communicate? That's way beyond the scope of what, what I can say. I do think if Gaia theory is correct, I mean, it is correct. If the planet Earth is a superorganism, then surely there are other superorganisms composed of other superorganisms. Maybe, you know, as a cosmic amoeba of galaxies, and maybe atoms are galaxies of some other universes, you know, but that's way beyond our radius of perception. Hmm. Um, I want to go back to Gaia, like how, how scientists then can maintain that there is a super organism without super consciousness. Yeah, that, that's the very tricky part. They say it is a self-regulating control system. Is a self-regulating control system. How is that different than just noting ecosystems? I mean, just they're just saying, yeah, well, exactly. all these ecosystems are on one Earth. Therefore, it's a giant mega system. Like, that just seems like, duh. Yeah, yeah. So, essentially, it is very hard in science to define what life is. Like when I was in college, we were defining life as everything that has a cell. Oh, okay. But then an ecosystem kind of is an organism, but is not composed of a cell, but is composed of many organisms. So we try to define it as something that establishes a metabolism. And if you define it like that, then everything that has a metabolism within it is a living organism. And ecosystems establish metabolisms via, you know, circulation of matter, flow of energy, via food chains. And a self-regulating control system is a metabolism but a much, a much higher scale metabolism than, say, a physiological metabolism of our bodies. Hmm. So here's a question that's like completely out of left field for you. Uh, okay. I, I don't know. I know you've listened to some Paratopia stuff, but I don't know if you're mm -hmm. familiar with my, you know, I hate even saying my, but this I am experience, the seeing and being nothingness exploding into everythingness. Are mm -hmm. you familiar with that at all? I am familiar uh, as I usually can experience that. You mean the losing of self and ego? No, I mean, literally, uh, I had an experience of... Um, uh, oneness. Again, going from one, unconsciousness. No, I mean, it was very... Uh -huh. It wasn't just a feeling. It was a visual and a feeling and the whole thing. But one of the things that I experienced during this, whatever, you know, the big I am experiences was of being the sun. Uh, and it seemed as though the sun was alive. It seemed or whatever, the star was alive and was just mm -hmm. happy to give light and life to the nearest rock that could handle it. But it also seemed as though all of these stars are alive and in communication with each other. Like they all know about each other. They're all in communication with each other. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, because you said, you know, there's no way that that we can know. And scientifically, it seems like, well, <laughs> for but, now, and it seems like that, that like to say that, like, I know that saying that sounds like an anthropomorphization or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm stuck on this word anthropomorphizing. Is this a real? I know it's a thing to an extent, but isn't it also like 
a cop-out for science to not have to um, understand not just the interconnecting nature of everything, but that like there is something about consciousness where, yeah, the forms can be different, but consciousness kind of does have a ceiling and we can all relate to each other because we are all of each other, you know? Mm -hmm. So in some ways, I mean, this is why you can relate to an ant <laughs> observing it long enough or yeah. your pet dog or anything, like anything, anything. And uh, I don't know, it just seems like um, to experience the interiority of another being that is the sun, which is foreign to me, but familiar enough for me to be able to describe it and feel it and understand it in that way. Um, isn't there something about the interiority or the internal of us all, like you had mentioned the collective consciousness, but of everything that we, that it's not so convoluted and confusing. It actually, we are all of each other. It is us in some sense. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, go ahead. You interviewed a few people from Native American tribes. I listened to that. I was very touched by that and how they perceive it, this whole oneness and connection to everything. Um, I, I get what you're trying to say, but I don't know how we would define that scientifically. I do believe there is something, you know. I do believe there is some well, kind of uh, collective consciousness that we can tap into regardless of what species we are and what entity we are. But how, how do you prove that if you, if you want to prove it? I don't want to prove it. I don't care about that. Uh, well, not even proving uh, it, but just like, just like thinking about it. Uh, and I'll probably, you'll be my second guest on this show, and I'll probably have talked about this with my first guest on this show too. Okay. So this will be a little bit of a retread, even though I'm recording this second, recording this first. You're my first re recorded interview. Um, but the idea that, that native cultures practice animism, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I'll just take even Hawaii, for instance, you know, where rocks can have spirits and um, Amakua, which is your sort of ancestors who come in the form of animals or rocks and are guardians, all that. I mean, like, even Japanese with the yokai and the kami. Okay, so, the, but the scientific sort of materialist answer to that is, oh, isn't that cute, pat you on the head. Uh, yeah, that's what children do, except that somehow these cultures were able to like lace up their moccasins and, you know, survive for thousands of years with their crazy child logic. Isn't there actually like to me. That probably comes from observation, like legit. You're in it observation of another being, which, you know, to be a rock or an animal or whatever, and understanding them um, and and being interrelated with them internally differently than we are, but also just observing them and their behavior and things like that. And you want to say, well, wait, let me, let me just observing this. directly. Yeah. As opposed rather to rather than indirectly via a lab. <laughs> well, do you think that, that the, the, anim, you know, when we talk about, um, you know, animism, isn't that more like the people who go on vacation and want to pet a Buffalo or they want to pet some wild animal and they get videotaped getting their arm chewed off or getting bucked by a bull or something like, isn't that what it is when you think that an animal is just like you. And so you should cuddle it. Would that be like more of an example of animism than living in a, in a culture in the woods or out in nature and fully understanding something and therefore understanding that it has a personality and its own sense of being. 
I don't view animism like that because I'm not American. I don't have a cultural, you know, history of treating animism as as such a thing. Well, that's um, interesting. I hadn't even thought about that. But yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. okay, well, what is it in Bosnia then? Okay, so we used to be animists until the 7th century. And we, we used to be pagans until we were massively Christianized. Um, and then all our paganistic history was destroyed systematically. So we don't know much about our origins. But we do not have a cultural history of coming into contact with what Americans would think are indigenous people or... or lesser cultures because the western interpretation of animism is like the most primitive belief system but I, I, that's why i mentioned Jap japan because the japanese religion shinto is animistic and yet they managed to be a very advanced developed society hmm. with a completely different view of animism and a more positive one so how uh, related do you feel, as opposed to the average Bosnian, toward that background? Like, have you, has Bosnia been completely westernized or no? No, it is still not westernized. Like, we're, we're in a liminal space between western and eastern because we are Slavs. So we will always be tied to Russia and that ideology but we are becoming westernized um we are also orthodox christians where i live because i'm a serb um which is much more in tune with the paganistic ways than say catholicism or protestant christianity does it do you do you see a difference um between those two mentalities like in how you treat each other and how you treat earth uh, there, there is a difference between it is not because it is not as centralized and organized Orthodox Christianity compared to say Catholicism, um, and we are not as um, Bible savvy. Let's say we don't look at the Bible at every word what it says and take it for granted. It's more like community and and um, f familial relations. Let's say. Huh. So do you have deities that you worship and that sort of stuff? Like, is that still, it's, would you see statues and parks and things like this? It's still, it's still Jesus Christ and Orthodox Christianity. It's just, um, we adapted Christianity from the Byzantine Empire instead of the Roman Empire. Hmm. When Christianity came, did they put their stink on, uh, yeah. Yeah. sacred spots and things like that? Did they build churches on sacred spots and say, oh, look, Marian visions and things like this? Uh, pr probably, yeah, because the, we don't know much about our history. Much of our history is based on epic poetry. And uh, much of our history was in uh, bloody wars, which we lost. But in losing them, we made epic po poetry of, oh, we showed them though we were <laughs> slaughtered. Um, especially before Christianization, we have nothing. Everything was systematically destroyed. There is a movement called Rodovieri, uh, which exists in all Slavic countries where people are trying to create a neo-paganistic a religious or belief system based on the old uh, paganistic days of the old Slavs. Hmm. Well, I, I guess I'm even thinking more literally like, um, gosh, 
I'm going to forget, but somewhere it's in New Mexico and probably also in Mexico, you know, there are places where the church puts the church down mm -hmm. and then suddenly Mary appears to people. And then, you know, we get that this. Is, we have a bit of that, but that may be more Croatian because I'm Serbian. I don't know. Our country is very complicated. Like you heard of the Bosnian war in the nineties. Mm -hmm. We have three ethnic groups that hate each other, and that's why we were at war. We have three presidents in my country, because wow. to end the war, uh, it, the, a treaty was signed where all three constituent um, ethnic groups will have a representative. So we have three presidents. Um, uh, the Marian visitations are more a Catholic thing. It's not a thing in Orthodox Christianity. Hmm. Okay. Because hmm. I, I, I'm trying to figure out whether those visions are like something that's made up by the church or it, if it's uh, literally what it is, or if it's that there's, um, you know, an, uh, power of the place, an entity of the place <laughs> that gets misinterpreted that way or on purpose. I, I have an idea that I shared on a few podcasts relating to Gaia theory and that. So. Like, what if people are seeing Marian visitations or aliens uh, spreading these messages of uh, eco-friendliness and stopping wars and peace and whatever? Because a Gaian entity is communicating to us via these projections, like you would uh, perform a puppet uh, stage play to little children. Right. Yeah, I, I, I mean... I guess I, I, I can go with that. <laughs> I, I, I try to, I mean, I apply it to like the interdimensional thing, but I could see that too. Um, I mean, I mean, in, in I mean, fact, if, the, if there is like an archetypal level to us, you know, the collective unconscious and the archetypal level, okay. there might be multiple beings that know to speak to us through those puppets, you know, or through those masks that that's to touch us on the unconscious level is to touch the actual part that, motivates us and works in the world because we all know yeah. that the i am still on the fence of whether the paranormal is from within or from without the source of the paranormal so i don't know if the paranormal is from us and we are manifesting and projecting it like egregores or tulpas let's say or if it is a force out there that is communicating with us and co-creating with us i'm still on the fence with that Right. Well, this gets me to probably my final set of questions for uh, non-subscribers with you, which is, okay, if this is uh, Gaia or if this is even us talking to ourselves, however that works, what do you do with trace cases in ufology or whatever the data is that ghost hunters collect? Um, I mean, and I guess you could even ask the question this way, like, does putting a radar on a UFO, whatever the UFO actually is, mm -hmm. change the nature of it uh, into something tangible? Well, that, that's why I am on the fence, because I was always on of the psychosocial uh, hypothesis. But there is a phys physicality to some phenomena. So I don't know. Is it something from without manifesting or... Do we have, I don't know, psychokinetic abilities or whatnot? It's just speculation. I don't, I'm not married to any of those ideas. But if there is a physicality, then there is some form of manifestation. 
Yeah. And I just want to say, you know, because you've brought this up a few times that you're not married to these ideas and all that. Mm-hmm. Me neither. You know, like, I think it's, I, th- I think if, if this, sh- me on this show, I'll say that, if my portion of Dreamland has, can do anything, it's just simply to get us thinking in different ways, but to show us what that means first. Like, a lot of people just think that believing that aliens exist at all uh, and are here or whatever, that that is deep enough, right? Like, that's the deep thing because it's different than what the mainstream believes. That's not deep enough. The quality of mind applying itself to these questions and these phenomena, I think, has to be a little bit deeper than that. So I'm hoping to expose people to what that could mean. And so you're helping. So, uh, <laughs> Keel, Thank you. Keel wrote famously that belief is the enemy. And I see that as if we are believing, we are uh, filling up the wardrobe of whatever uh, outfit this thing can choose to wear. We will leave it on that uh, for, I guess, the YouTube crowd, the, the podcast crowd. For subscribers, we're going to get a glass of water and keep going. <laughs> Thank you, Vuk, for uh, for doing this. And um, we will have links uh, in the show description. But if you want to just tell us um, quickly as well where people can listen to your um, Tracing Owls podcast. Okay, so wherever you're listening to this, except on YouTube, Tracing Owls, that's the name of the podcast. And of social media, I only use Instagram, Tracing Owls. You can find me there. Awesome. Thank you so much. No problem. All right, everyone, that'll do it for this edition of Dreamland. Whitley will be back next week. Uh, I want to thank Vuk for sharing his time and his wisdom with us. Please do check out his podcast, Tracing Owls, in the link provided in the show description. And I'll see you back here in about a month. Of course, if you want to subscribe to Dreamland, uh, head on over to unknowncountry.com and do that. And um, then you don't have to wait a month. In fact, uh, you don't even have to go contact Vuk anywhere. You can just listen to us carry on this conversation. You can get all of all the dreamlands and all of the unique content that Whitley has in store for you at unknowncountry.com for a pittance. Highly suggest you do so. If you like what you heard here, you're going to hear more of it. And I want your input. Please email me. Jeremy at unknowncountry.com and tell me uh, the types of topics or maybe even guest suggestions you have um, for this show. I'm thinking about doing uh, live shows from a cafe maybe at some point around the the island I live on. Um, Tell me if that appeals to you. Tell me if it doesn't. Tell me. All right, take care. I guess we're just going on. Vuk, we're just going on. Thank you again for uh, for putting up with me. This is my, as I said, this is my first recording. This is my first interview doing it. I've never had to interject commercial breaks and that sort of thing. So, um, No problem. We're le- learning along the way. And as I'm saying, like, I'm not married to these ideas because I just, okay. So as I said, philosophy is not no longer a thing in science because people just don't want to speculate and don't want to be creative. And there's a problem in the Fortean community where people want to be correct, but they don't. uh, The main focus is being correct, but not right. And uh, in being correct, you need to formulate your theories and hypotheses and often uh, stick to these narratives that 
gain more popularity, let's say, like the ETH or whatever, instead of maybe sharing ideas and, and going into philosophy and just opening up to a stream of consciousness, like isn't high strangeness itself kind of absurd and tricksterish and uh, kind of ta uh, tailored towards the the experiencer and maybe sometimes the experiencer can make sense of it and maybe not but <laughs> oftentimes other people cannot make sense of what the experiencer experiences well, so why are we trying to you know standardize everything in the 14 community well, is it as bad in Bosnia as it is uh, online, like, you know, through America? Uh, you mean the 14 community? Yeah. Does it all work the same everywhere? Uh, we don't really have a 14 community because oh. we used to be communists until the mid-90s, and that was not a thing in communism. <laughs> I imagine not. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean... I to my mind, this all gets back to, you know, we like to control. We like to know things so that we can claim to have control over the unknown because the ultimate unknown is death. And ultimately, I think our fear of death is what motivates us more than anything, unfortunately. Um, which, in a weird way, this is something Jeff Ritzman on Paratopia had noted. Like, uh, when you watch, well, I don't know about ghost hunting shows, but definitely in life, a lot of ghost hunters are former police. And you don't really see that so much with UFOs, but you do with ghost people that they're former mm -hmm. cops and investigators and stuff. And it's to Jeff's mind, it was always like, well, who are the people that really want to know about death and, and really want to know about life going on? You know, people who see this stuff all the time, probably thought that there was something interesting to that. Well, I'd say that UFOs are tied to death. And I think Joshua yes. Kutchin would say that as well. But I don't think that's an obvious notion. We're talking about like the obvious level that most people, um, you know, at least initially uh, are exposed okay, to. Okay, so when we're at that, like, why do people assume that a ghost is a dead person? And why do they assume if an entity tells them, oh, I am this and that person and I live in that and that year, blah, blah, blah. Why, why are they listening to the entity? Entities can lie. Yeah. <laughs> and as as you said, like, the ghost can be just a mask that something else is assuming. Oh, yes, I am. I am the ghost of this person. <laughs> well, and not only that, but it's even one step stupider because we tell ourselves that very thing, at least in movies, probably in literature, that, you know, the thing on the Ouija board isn't what it really is. Like, we tell ourselves this in horror movies all the time, and yet when we go at it, we, we treat it like this is what it is. Yeah. I find that odd. And especially for channelers, <laughs> you know, assuming that any of them are not, you know, con artists. Uh, if there is one channeler who's not a con artist. Um, it's very fun, funny that you mention Ouija boards because that's not a thing here. And you already know the <laughs> history of Ouija boards. It's a capitalist construct of America. <laughs> Uh, That's why it's export that one, huh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, still, even if it is a capitalist construct and a hoax, uh, it causes people to focus their intent and conjure well, up high it, strangeness. I mean, on the other hand, if I'm going to play maybe even literal devil's advocate, uh, I, I think the fact that that these whatever these the seemingly other intelligence is 
can form a narrative. Like when I was in high school and played with a Ouija board with friends, Mm -hmm. it wasn't just like we played with a Ouija board. There was a narrative that formed. There were subplots that formed. There was stuff happening in the room that, that I witnessed that so you can just play that Dungeons whatever this and Dragons. Was, was what it said it was. What's that? You couldn't just play Dungeons and Dragons like uh, everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have those friends, man. <laughs> I wanted to. What's sad is I owned one of the Dungeons and Dragons sets with the books, and I would just when I was a kid, I would like sit up reading this stuff and like dream of playing one day with somebody. But. But when we're at that, isn't Dungeons and Dragons, uh, say, focusing intent? Maybe the Christians yes. were right during Satanic Panic. It really is magic. Well, in a sense, and actually you're reminding me, this is something I wanted to ask you before we went to break. Uh, well, of course, you're saying, well, I guess it doesn't matter if there's not like a 40 in scene in Bosnia. I mean, if you're doing podcasts, if you're uh, talking to people um, in life, uh, when you have conversations that get to something deep, do you feel the air change in the room? Do you do you have like electronics that go haywire, or do you have like a deep feeling as though you're like immersed in some sort of heaviness? You know, any the, of that sort the, of physicality. The immersion, happen? yeah. The immersion, yeah, and the losing of oneself. Not not electronics. No poltergeist phenomena. I am not an experiencer. I do not wish to be an experiencer. I wish to just learn and enlighten myself. I don't know if you need to be an experiencer to reach enlightenment or if you can take the harder maybe route. Though I don't know if it's offensive to say it's hard route. So when you come to that that place, what did you call it? Uh, Losing oneself. Oh, that all you called it? Okay. <laughs> I thought I thought you gave a term for it. But okay, so when you come to that, when you're speaking with other people, and you come to that place of, yeah, whatever that is, that, that feeling of like everything's heavy and weird in the air, um, should that be a sign that whatever is coming out of the conversation is more true uh, than what you had before? Or is that also deceptive? I'd argue everything is true in different ways. Like we we live different lives which overlap with each other at the same point in time and space. Hmm. <laughs> okay. So let let's say I I work for a large corporation in a team for software support of a product. When I go into the office, it is a completely different world and atmosphere, especially when I go into the zone during my shift. When I go out of the office, when I uh, finish work, it's like I'm in a completely different world. So in a way, during my day, I live in many different states of consciousness and in different worlds, that, psychologically. Yeah. No, I get that. And we, yeah, and we all do that in, uh, in different ways. But there are specific ways. Like you can say what that is. And, um, but that's different than having a deep conversation and the room becoming oddly thick and weird and like the hair standing up on your arms for no reason, you know, that sort of thing. It's, it's not like that for me. It's more like I am tapping into a stream of consciousness. Okay. So you're tapping into a stream of consciousness. Um, Do you think that that is more real? Do you think that that is death? 
Okay, so I have something creepy. I did a podcast, which is a parody podcast with a lot of characters. And uh, the reason I stopped doing the podcast is because a lot of synchronicity started popping up and I was basing my show just on random thoughts and dreams I have. And the more and more I was funneling this into the entity of the podcast I was creating, the more it became eerie and weird. And I started having prophetic dreams, which led to the death of my grandfather in real life. Uh, there were a lot of synchronicities on my show related to that because I was on my show dealing with uh, killing off a character and making jokes of that, and the character was based on my grandfather. And in the end, I predicted in a way the death of my real grandfather. <laughs> That's why I stopped doing the podcast. Wow. So when I say I tap into something, I I, I tapped into a stream of consciousness where I was creating satirical parody content but without thinking just just the stream of consciousness and funneling myself into something into a mirror image doppelganger of myself of a character and the more i was doing this the more freaky stuff started happening so i don't know if it's related to death but i i'm worried that all of us who tap into this and who um go down the paranormal routes let's say are maybe getting closer and closer to death. I think that's true. And I think um, we need to start thinking about, I guess, death in terms of the unconscious. Um, you know, what is it about us? What is, what is that? What is the unconscious? Like when we talk about the collective unconscious, um, is that any different? You know, is it an imaginal realm from which we spring up and uh, just like an iceberg, it's like this tiny little portion of us is all we see. And so we go, oh, okay, that's everything. And when that melts, we go, okay, we're dead. But what did you melt into? You just melted into under the ocean where the rest of you exists. What if, I mean, what if consciousness is a collective consciousness you don't have your own consciousness but you are a device borrowing a portion of the collective consciousness just like you have a router at home for wi-fi and you have 30 devices using the same wi-fi so what if we are going back to that collective consciousness upon death well i think that would explain why we invent computers <laughs> Because <laughs> I feel like we we invent things like that to, to you know unconsciously. It's archetypal. To tell ourselves yeah. what we're what we're blocking out. Uh, it's very Jungian. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to. I, I have one more prepared question, and this gets back to the science stuff that I was putting off. Um, but and it will probably also tie in with this nicely, which is that you said that science does not hold the key to understanding the paranormal because the mere observation of the unknown changes its innate state mm -hmm. uh what is it about observing something that as you said turns it into stone like medusa because that sounds suspiciously like in fact i use that very analogy in my book urgency to talk about speaking truth uh truth is the ever-present case that flows uh when it flows through you it is you but when you speak it, it becomes wisdom, it becomes truths, it sort of breaks up and dies the second it's spoken. It becomes truths and ideals and that sort of thing, but it's no longer alive. 
through the act of speaking it. Of course, you have to speak it. Mm-hmm. That's a necessary evil, I suppose. Um, this sounds suspiciously similar. Uh, what What is it about science speaking the paranormal that kills it? Okay, so you approach everything from a more spiritualistic perspective. I obviously approach it from a biological materialist scientific perspective because of my education. Maybe we're talking about the same thing, but I, I formulate it differently. So I said, like, it is known that when the mere observation of a particle changes the particle, you cannot observe a particle without changing it. That's impossible. Um uh, what I was trying to say is maybe the unknown has control over us and influence over us. But once we define it, as I said, knowing a demon's name, now you have control over it. So we have control over nature once we define it and label it and observe it scientifically. Because now the nature's influence over us ch- changes into our influence over it. But if Gaia so is, it is a more metaphorical is, thing rather than physical, I mean, that, that can be true physically, I suppose. But if Gaia is uh, also conscious, then you're not changing Gaia. Like, that's just hubris, right? You are changing Gaia. That's the point of Gaia that uh, or, organisms are changing the environment. Okay, so. So wait, in, wait, 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 the wait, Gaia me, wait, 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 wait. Let me just stop okay. there because maybe I'm not getting this. Are you saying then that. Gaia is not a stable consciousness because no, it's a dynamic a physicality change. Okay, so even the physicality is changed by living organisms. Let's say, let's say there is a lot of silica in the oceans, and this is in the book Gaia, and you look at life on Earth. You have these uh, algae that are called diatoms, and they form uh, silicon skeletons. If there is a lot of silica in the oceans, these organisms will exponentially reproduce and start incorporating the silica into their own skeletons. Thus, they are reducing the the concentration of silica in the ocean. Once they die, the mass of their bodies brings them to the ocean depths where they sediment and create, you know, uh, the ocean bottom, let's say, the rock of the ocean bottom through millions of years. This is how the ocean self-regulates itself by utilizing life to change the properties of the ocean. Okay. So in a way, life life forms are an extension uh, of the collective life form that we are forming in service of regulating the conditions of the earth. We are a thermometer of the non-living. We are a thermometer of the non-living. Hmm. Uh, okay, because what I was what I was thinking of was like if you took and you know if you had your appendix removed, you would still be you. So yeah. it's not as though your your sense of self changes because your appendix consciousness is no longer there. But whatever. you are you because of the accumulated whole, not because of minuscule. <laughs> things no i know but i i just thought what you were saying was like from the point of view the appendix if i leave this this whole thing changes and it's like no the whole thing doesn't change because it's got its own consciousness uh but yeah but if 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 i i i don't know if a whole population changes in a way then that changes the ecosystem 
And then sure. the ecosystem changes, changing the biome, changing the biosphere, and so on and so on. So it's not an individual thing. It's an accumulated whole. But do you, so then Gaia can't have her, <laughs> let's say, own consciousness mm -hmm. uh, per se, right? Because it's always going to mutate with the mutations or evolve with the evolutions. Okay, so... In biology, defining a species is very hard because species are malleable. What you define as a species now in a few million years will be totally different or diverge into different species. Life is not set in stone it, unless you're a creationist. Um, life is a dynamic system that adapts and evolves constantly. Yes. And as Gaia if is a, if there's a, a living... meta-consciousness... Okay. I guess the question is like, are we just at that point, like, uh, you know, is it a God substitute where you're like, well, there's this, this being called Gaia and she creates these things on herself and uh, does what she, she will with them, but she, she stays does... herself or okay. not, or does she mutate with no, them? No, 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 no. Gaia is the accumulated whole. Gaia 2.5 billion years ago was not the same Gaia as it is now, because back then it was composed of just a few populations of single-celled organisms. And now it is composed of three-plus million different species of different types of organisms. It is a product of life that regulates life and is life itself. But can't she just be one entity that's juggling more stuff? She's still the same juggler. She's just learned to juggle more stuff. And no, because uh, the more stuff she has, uh, the more components she has of herself. Um, you can't. So if an organism is composed of one type of cell, uh, and then the organism after a few million years adapts, let's say the adaptation that all the cells specialize for certain functions and form organs. That is a completely different organism, but it is genetically still the same organism. You know, it just evolved from a common ancestor. Okay. So this is kind of like what, you know, in a way, this is like uh, the singularity, the computer singularity or becoming a cyborg or something. Uh, if we add onto us via technology, then we become someone else. Okay. Is, is, it's kind of like that. We're still human, but we're also something else. So she's constantly still herself, well, but also always something else. So that, that's labeling and that's anthropocentrism, labeling something and setting it into stone. Uh, when you give a species a name, you're giving a species a name of its current state in that point in time and space. If you wait a few million years, that species is a completely different thing. The whole concept of labeling something and of something being that which it is, how we name it, is a human concept. It's not a natural and biological concept. Okay, so let's bring that to its natural conclusion, which is uh, now we have to talk about time and timelessness. So what we're talking about when we talk about evolution and mutation and all this stuff is time. But from the timeless perspective, where it's just like this living, breathing painting before you, this entire spread of, a, let's say, a species, is in fact one movement of one item on the painting, one, uh, one being. Isn't it possible that, that Earth, Gaia, whatever, is uh, sees from that point of view, sees all of these 
species and mutations really as uh, one giant movement. Um, and so isn't really changing because they're not really changing. They're just on different points of their own spectrum. They, we would say they started here and end up here and in the future they'll go here. But mm -hmm. really this whole thing is always already happening. So if she sees from the always already happening uh, and we can't, then maybe she's the same. <laughs> is that the, the concept of determinism? You tell me, I don't know. I, I don't know I, words. I, I leave the fancy words to you. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm not a scientist. Like I used to be a biology teacher, but, um, yeah, as I said, like time changes life. Life is not constantly the same. It constantly changes. Like even if you have an infection and you don't finish your, your antibiotics in time or in a timely manner, then the population of bacteria in your, in your body will mutate and evolve to be resistant. That's evolution only on a very much uh, more rapid time scale, let's say. Hmm. Is there anything in paranormal world or ufological world uh, where you don't start out with sort of a biological or a materialistic basis? Like, is there anything where you just have dived full force in a different direction or no? Do you always build well, up from I, the same base? I always, I always try to fit it in to establish science what we know to be reality or what, what we know to be facts. And yet ultimately you think science can't answer any of this. Okay, so science is 1% 1 of the universal fact, but everything that science says is fact. So science is 100% true, it is, but it has a radius where it can explain only 1% of reality. So there is a lot of stuff out there that cannot be in the domain of science. So if we uh, explain 1% of reality and we have 99% of everything else to explain, we need to fit that 1% into the whole puzzle, you know, because it is a puzzle piece that needs to fit in. And it is what we know to be material objective reality. And I see the paranormal is more pliable, you know, it is more vague and more, um, in, you can interpret it more. But uh, science, objectivity, materialism is rigid. Yeah, I, I just, uh, I guess I've pictured it like um, science or I guess maybe even logic and rationality. Um, in order for something to be true for us, it has to have an anchor in that, but it can also transcend it. Yeah. And when it transcends, when something is translogical, because it's not purely logical, it often gets mistaken for nonsense or illogical garbage stuff. Um, but nevertheless, it seems to be true. Like one of the things that I've experienced are, God, I hate saying this word. Oh God, but chakras for lack of a better term, which I would not believe if I didn't experience them because it, it makes my skin crawl to even know that this exists having made fun yeah. of it for so long. But it seems as though early on, uh, just in the loose bit of reading I would have done or things I would have watched about chakras, it was about this sort of spiritual hoity-toity, it can be whatever you want it to be, sort of power centers. Um, and whether it was this way or not, I don't know all along, or if it, the focus just got pulled 
toward this. It seems now people are more uh, able, willing to say that whatever these energy centers are, they are centered on uh, different glands or different, you know, organs in the body. So they're physically rooted in the body, but they're not that. They're they're sort of superimposed over you in a way. They're mm-hmm. not exactly those things, but they are hovering over them in some weird way. Um, so science hasn't yet gotten to that part. Um, don't know if science can get to that part, but I have gotten to that part. I have gotten to that part simply by shutting up and then Kundalini energy takes over or whatever and starts utilizing this crap. <laughs> yeah, and, I, I actually listened today to your appearance on Where Did the Road Go, where you were, you were talking about Kundalini. So is is there a part of, is there any room in science to be that you know of to be able to say, okay, the irony is we've brought ourselves as far as we can go in this direction with logic and thought, right? Like just thinking about it and pondering and observing it. Now we need to let go thought. We need to stop being the observer and see what happens for the sake of doing so. Um, because in science, no, because science is, is science. It's okay. Science is not nature and it's not reality. Science so wait, is a human. Do, do scientists know that they're this limited then, or do they say, do they, are they in denial by, by negating everything that I just said as as you, all your own personal experience or, oh, that's garbage or whatever it is. Like, will they always negate that point of view or do they ever own it and go, yeah, this is, I'm sorry, I just can't get there because I'm a scientist. Maybe they can say I can't get there because I'm a scientist because science has a methodology and you need to test and prove something. Like I, I did a podcast on a, on a chameleon that they uh, discovered that they thought was extinct for over a hundred years. And it took them two years to prove that the chameleon they have is actually that species. Just systematical genetic study. You, Hmm. you discover a species, you know what it is. Why, why all the bull crap, you know, but it, it has a methodology. It needs to adhere to its own rules because as I was saying, science is not nature and it's not reality. It is the reality that we can uh, systematically document in order to exploit it. It is a human artificial construct and a way for us to, uh, in human terms, understand nature so we may manipulate it. Huh. Well, but that's nature exists, you know, <laughs> as, as a monolith. Well, <laughs> I, maybe this will sort of be my last question about this. Tie it all together. Um, you know, I think that's true. And I also think that modern science has its roots in Christianity. Uh, there's no yeah, getting away. In in, alchemy. Well, Christian doctrine in the sense of, um, you know, nature is yours to do what you want with, you know, uh, do you think that that's true? Is that where that comes from? The idea that science, and how do they not know this? Like, because they've done away with superstitions and stuff like that, and they've done away with Bible stories as being literally true. Okay. But have you done away with the notion that we are, uh, that all this, we have domain over the earth, dominion over the earth, and over all of the animals? Like, science seems to really love that part of the program where we have dominion. It's like, like you said, it's about being able to manipulate at our will as if these aren't living beings we're manipulating, including the environment that sustains us um, and doing things for war and profit and blah, blah, blah. Um, Is there no part of them that doesn't understand that that is 
the part of their granddaddy, which is Christianity, that they thought they did away with? I am. I have not dabbled in the scientific community a lot, no. And especially being in Bosnia, I don't know how the scientific community in America thinks. Um, over here, it is not very Christianized, but it is still anthropocentric because the point of science is to invent new ways of bettering human life and expanding human domination. And you as a sponsor are not going to invest money into what discovering the miraculous wonder of, of a lizard just for the sake of it. You know, <laughs> you need to exploit it. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear at least if we can end on a positive note, it's good to know that science all around the world shares the commonality of a uh, profit motive and uh, domination. So <laughs> I also wanted to add something. So you were mentioning transcendence. Uh -huh. um, I always think, how does science explain language? Because language is not tangible and you do not have a material, physical um, evidence of language. And yet language exists as a sociological concept or, uh, let's say, an entity and evolves and diverges just as biological entities but as it exists in a human unconsciousness, you know, in a society, it is um, completely removed from the ecological factors which shape living organisms through millions of years and languages can evolve through decades or centuries. So uh, that's why I, th I had the idea, maybe gods or maybe the paranormal want to show themselves to us so we may create mythologies out of them or concepts because in the outer material world, it takes a lot of time for something to evolve and change. But within, you know, a collective unconsciousness or an abstract imaginal plane, you are not susceptible to ecological factors. Thus your evolution is more exponential. Hmm. Yeah. This, uh, you know, Teokas and Ghost Horse, uh, who I know you recently listened to on Paratopia, I don't know if in that episode that you listened to, he talked about um, culture coming from the land and language really coming from the land. Um, but doesn't that tie in nicely? Like culture pops up literally from the land, not just for humans, but for all species. And so you could live on a mountain and be on one side at one elevation and another side, another elevation, be a human or a bird, whatever you are and be different. Um, yeah. you're the same, but you're different. And, um, on the one hand, there's that materialist. Well, of course you're at different elevations, blah, blah, blah. But I don't think he's even necessarily talking about that, that Gaia or mother earth, whoever, um, has different instruction for different places on earth, you know? And it comes up as culture and language. And when you break off from that and you start uh, doing your culture from man, from the mind of man, written books, um, Bibles and the such, eh, it gets a little, little hinky. <laughs> and how, how does science actually explain art and creativity as something which is completely imaginal and non-corporeal? or the agreement that something is good or bad in art and creativity. Like how do masses of people agree that like someone's first album is great, but their second album stinks. Like, what is that? It's music, right? <laughs> so yeah, there are, there are things that are completely intangible 
Yeah, that's why I think like we are interpreters. We are, let's say, um, I had this analogy in one podcast. Let's say we are a key and the paranormal is a lock. And we are a rigid key. A person is formed by their uh, historical, cultural, and personal contexts. So it has a form, let's say, of a key. But the paranormal as a lock uh, interacts with us as the rigid key and kind of assumes the counter shape of the key. As you like to say, it reflects ourselves. And then it opens up a paranormal experience. Well, on that note, I think we will leave it there and uh, <laughs> let the listeners rest their brains. <laughs> Vuk, thank you so much for, for doing this. I really appreciate you. And, uh, and I look forward to listening to you on Tracing Owls podcast. So keep pumping them out, please. No problem, man. <laughs> All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Was that good? Yeah, I, it was a bit awkward, but... Uh... Yeah, fine. <laughs> Awkward? I'm sorry. I'm, I, I'm, I'm just uh, worried of uh, coming off as a crackpot just because it is very controversial to just talk in the paranormal community. Just nice. share ideas. <laughs> um, well, I don't think it sounds crackpotty to say, listen, I, I, we're just spitballing ideas here. You know, like that's not crackpotty. Yeah. And also, I mean, from what I understand, at least, at least in America, uh, a lot of these scientists do think about this shit. They just won't talk about it in a formal way publicly, which is why, like, a professor is okay to write books as a side project about stuff like this, but, you know, they're not cool to do it for peer-reviewed journals. Yeah, because their credibility depends on it. It's a human system. It's not a natural system. A nat nature is a monolith and science is not nature. It's just an artificial construct. Right. God, I could have picked your brain about uh, the Bosnian you can, Wars. You can pick my brain about anything. Well, I can't. I, I just can't don't know what's go. for the show, you know? Yeah, no, no, no. This. I just wanted to, I would love to know more about Bosnia and about what it's like to be a refugee and all that sort of stuff i hopefully will never have to deal here's with. here's something interesting so we had a belief that if you're constructing a bridge or a castle that you need to do a blood sacrifice and oftentimes they would wall in the wife of somebody to wow. appease the to appease the spirit of the castle or the the bridge huh and this was uh the 80s <laughs> this was maybe until like the 18, 1900s. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Huh. And it's always a woman, right? It's always like... Well, the most famous case is a woman, and she uh, asked for them to leave uh, an open uh, hole in the wall for her right breast so she may breastfeed her child while walled in. Wow. Yeah. That <laughs> so is... speaking of animism... Like, that's very screwed up. We believe that constructs had spirits that you need to appease. Huh. Wow. I gotta have to mull that one over. I mean, so is is the place, like, just littered with ghosts and stuff? <laughs> no, it was believed, like, you need to appease the spirit, let's say, of a bridge, because the bridge will intentionally um, collapse or something during construction if you don't appease it. It's maybe a derivative of fey folklore because you know in fey folklore that the fey would constantly try to demolish human constructs 
Wow. That's can I uh edit the, just this part in at the end? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> okay, cuz I don't think I mean that's fascinating to me. I yeah. It's got to be fascinating to someone else out there. If anybody's interested, just search up Rosafa Castle. It is uh, currently in Albania, but we have uh, Serbian versions of the same myth. Wow. Okay. All right. Let's leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go, but uh, okay. I appreciate you doing this. Thank you. No problem. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by UnknownCountry.com and its family of subscribers.